Hi, Eric Goldwine here from LTCCC's Nursing Home 411 podcast. The following is a recording from LTCCC's October 18th webinar, What Does Good Care Look Like for People Living with Dementia? Featuring dementia care expert, Dr. Jonathan Evans. You'll also hear from LTCCC's Executive Director, Richard Mollett, and from some of our brave audience members who tried out our new live audience participation feature. For video and slides, head to nursinghome411.org slash webinar dementia care. Again, that's nursinghome411.org slash webinar dementia care. So today's program, I'm, I'm personally really excited about it. The webinar is entitled, What Does Good Care Look Like for People Living with Dementia? And our speaker is Dr. Jonathan Evans. So a little bit about Jonathan. Uh, he is a geriatrician who's focused most of his career on understanding dementia, how it affects individuals and families, and decoding the so-called behavioral symptoms of dementia uh, that people living with dementia often express. He is the president of the board of the National Consumer Voice. Uh, I've just a quick personal note. I have gotten to work with Jonathan a number of times over the years now, and I'm just always impressed by his thoughtfulness and his insights and how deeply he believes and how strongly that comes comes across in his presentations and his work. So I'm really thrilled to have him here today. Uh, before we get started and before I hand it over to Jonathan, we are doing today's program a little bit differently. So um, usually we save Q&A for the end. And again, we will do that. So we will have time for Q&A for Jonathan at the end of the program. But we're going to have a rather interactive program today. So uh, you are encouraged to, uh, to participate. Jonathan will be discussing case studies and encourage people to weigh in either by putting a comment in the chat or raising their hand and providing a, um, a verbal comment or question. And we ask that you limit that to 20 or 30 seconds tops and to please keep on topic because we really want to uh, pick Jonathan's brain and get his insights into dementia care. So I know oftentimes people have a lot of different issues that they're dealing with, but today we really want to focus on dementia care and, um, and, and getting some insights on that. Next slide, please. Okay, I'm gonna hand it over to Jonathan here. Jonathan, thanks and welcome. Thank you very much. I, I, um, I really appreciate the chance to be with you all and I'm looking forward to uh, starting a dialogue that will continue hopefully long into the future. Um, and if there are uh, um, things that anybody wants to discuss that might take longer, and I don't want to give it short shrift, so I'm happy to discuss with you afterwards as well. Okay. Um, I, I thought I would start by at, at answering a question that uh, I ask myself many times a day, and many of you might also, and that is, why am I doing this? Okay. That, I don't always intend to ask myself that question, but it comes up all the time. And, uh, or put it another way, why has this topic sort of become my thing? And uh, I, what I would say about that is I, I think it's sort of, uh, as I re ponder it, it's it sort of uh, kind of, it, it's a distillation of my sort of challenges and struggles, at, you know, both personally and professionally, and just trying to figure out how to live. So 
Uh, and, and similarly, I think, it, as you'll see, when we talk about individual situations and some potential conflicts, it's also emblematic of some of the problems or limitations of both healthcare delivery in this country, as well as, shall we say, professional education. And, you know, it, it also, I think, in some ways represents the place where we are as a nation right now, where, you know, there really is... Um, I think as a, as a people, we're deeply conflicted, uh, uh, present company excluded, mind you. But, you know, as, as a nation, we're deeply con conflicted about how we treat other people, as well as really fundamentally, you know, what should our, what if any shared responsibility do we have to our, our basically fellow human beings and what, what are we willing to accept? So uh, um, now having said that, every one of you on this call, um, has already demonstrated a strong commitment to not just being your mother or your father's or sister's or brother's keeper, but that, you know, you are connected with humanity and you, you feel that same, uh, uh, necessity. It's part of who you are basically to love and care for other people. And I, and <clears throat> frankly, that's why I'm here. So I can, uh, basically be connected with you and that that's what sustains me. So I, I really am grateful not just for the work that you do, but for who each of you is as an individual. And I hope I get a chance to interact with you personally in the, in the future. Um, so uh, similarly, you saw there's, there's sort of two different titles. One was, you know, what does good dementia care look like? This one's talking about behaviors. I'm going to try to uh, address both, okay? And you'll see that um, as we work through some case scenarios. But basically, um, here's, here's, what, here's what my kind of selfish hope is for you is that as we go through some of these situations together that you'll be able to see in your mind's eye what's possible you'll 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 you will know what good care would look like in this situation as we work through it uh but that's in contrast to uh to what is you know and what what, what the current situation is and hopefully you'll in turn you'll be able to help other people see that also um but I, and I'm, I want to apologize in advance because in so doing, I will have inadvertently afflicted you with the same curse that um, under which I have labored, which is that when you see what's possible, it often makes what is or what has been unacceptable. OK, and that's the essence of leadership. OK, and the essence of leadership is that the status quo is never an option and that, you, you know, you're helping other people. Uh, see what you see. You have this vision that you're sharing with people, and and by in doing so, they want to go with you. Okay, and that's what makes you a leader. Unfortunately, this is against the culture in healthcare, uh, and even more broadly in many workplaces and families and other stuff, where all people see is what is and what has been, and it makes everything else impossible. So, um, and and um, I uh, when you get down to it. What we're really going to be talking about is, as we approach these situations, is really love and understanding. Okay. Now, I know this is a New York crowd. Am I allowed to say that, in, or is that just supposed to be implied? I don't know. If, if I'm breaking any rules, just let me know. But I know there's a lot of love in New York, but you know, people don't brag about it usually. So, uh, but you know, basically, it's love and understanding, and especially it's it's loving when you can't cannot yet understand. Okay, which to me is sort of the essence of faith really or or if you will it's it's what motivates each of you to do what you're doing under circumstances that 
make excellence difficult. Okay, so having pontificated now, I think we'll just focus on um, the real people that I'm going to introduce you to and kind of decoding some of the stuff and figuring out how we can make these situations better. Okay, so we'll move on to the next one here. And so I, I have a definition of dementia that is not kind or unkind. It's a very clinical one. Um, there are, but basically, uh, the essence here is that the, the point I'm trying to make with this definition is that dementia is best not really thought of as a disease per se, but it's really should be thought of as changes in a person's abilities. Okay. Uh, you could call it a disability if you want, but, um, but people have many retained abilities that are really important that, uh, that are essential. But part of the reason I'm saying that it's, think of it as a disability, not a disease, is because typically we treat diseases with drugs in order to relieve symptoms, but that doesn't work for disabling conditions, okay? And uh, and really there are, for all intents and purposes, no medicines that really make things better for people living with dementia, but there are a lot of medicines that make things worse, and I don't prescribe those medicines, okay? I haven't for many years, although I certainly have in the past. We're not going to be talking about drugs too much unless you have questions about the problems that drugs might cause. We're going to talk about life and how to help people live better and how we can get through life together too. Life's a lot harder than it needs to be, I, I believe, but maybe we can make it a little easier. All right, next slide, please. Uh, the, uh, the other thing I want to underscore on that last slide is it's really essentially important for people caring for others that are living with dementia to understand that person and understand what their life was like before they became disabled and perhaps before they were able to tell their story themselves, okay? Uh, but in essence, the behavior that has been pathologized, meaning that in medical settings, we try to make it sound like it's a disease and then we start prescribing medicines and so forth. Behavior, simply put, is communication. And I, I'll go further and say that it's a very good thing. If people are telling us something, we should listen. If we don't listen, usually uh, it's to our own detriment, okay? So, uh, and... And the worst kind of behaviors, the ones that frustrate caregivers or that result in uh, people being sent to the hospital and so forth, tends to be really a, uh, a conflict between that individual person and their environment. Sometimes it's the physical environment, sometimes it's the human environment, the people in that environment. I mean, sometimes it's the building, for example. If there's a, I mean, every building that you go into, other than your house probably, Every public building or, or workplace is going to have, for example, bright red signs saying things like exit, okay? And there'll be a bright box, red box somewhere that'll say in small letters in case of emergency, but in big letters, it'll say pull, okay? And so if that's what, if those are the messages in the environment and people are simply reacting to that, it's not surprising that if there's an exit door, people might try to go through it. And I have to confess that I, being more of a walker, I have numerous times tried to exit buildings through doors that I thought were just exits and not realizing that they had alarms, okay? And similarly, I've had many patients over the years who saw a thing on the wall that said pull, and they thought they were doing their good deed for the day by pulling it only to, to be confronted by the fact that it was a fire alarm and then they evacuate the building and stuff like that. So that's just an example of how the physical environment often tells people things that's the opposite of what they want, we want them to do and that's confusing. But it's, it's often the human environment really which is how we interact with other people that, that often elicits 
certain kinds of behaviors. All, and, the, and, and mind you, um, as far as that disability slide is concerned, just know this, that commonly for people living with dementia, they may have problems with short-term memory and they have problems with so-called executive brain function. I don't wanna overstate that, but what does that mean? That means that they're generally not able to make plans and then carry out those plans over time. And so therefore, uh, it's, it would be physically impossible, for example, to, for somebody who has, who's living with dementia to be, quote, aggressive. That would mean that they are thinking a thought and they're acting on it in multiple steps and they're going after somebody what 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 really happens instead is they're reacting and what other people might misinterpret as aggressive is really defensive okay so when and so we'll, we'll i'll illustrate this here in just a minute let's let's move on to the next slide i'd much rather just kind of talk about some of these cases and then um um we can decode them afterwards but what i'm going to show you in a, with a few little cases is not, the people aren't little but the words that i chose were small so it wouldn't take so long is I'm going to illustrate some of these so-called bad behaviors like uh, like resisting care and agitation and wandering and all these negative terms, which I generally don't use, but uh, I'm I'm playing the game right now. And so we'll, we'll it's all it's all those things and being a danger to oneself and others. We'll, we'll sort through all that stuff. The main thing here is behaviors communication. The main our, our primary task is to figure out meaning you know, what are they, what or whom are they reacting to? What are they trying to say? And, and, and in essence, to whom? And the easiest way to do this really is to put yourself in, in their shoes and, and try to imagine if you were in a scenario similar to what they're going through. I'll illustrate this in a minute. Likewise, for caregivers, we really have to be mindful of what is our behavior telling them, even though what it's telling them may not be what we intended. For example, if somebody's in a hurry, um, or if somebody's standing over another person, the, the message that people might get is one of feeling, or the, the they may feel threatened by that, okay? So, you know, it, some of this just requires being mindful of, of, well, the difference that we make, for good or for bad. All right, uh, we'll move on to the next slide here. So here's a guy, uh, this is the only case that does not involve, these are all real people, this is the only case that doesn't involve someone living in uh, a, a residential care setting. He's living at home with his wife. He has, he's had a diagnosis of dementia. And let's just say that he's been specifically told he can't drive. Let's say his, his, his license was revoked or uh, because he'd had some crashes and so forth. It's not safe for him to drive, but that does, he doesn't remember that. And for that matter, the act of driving a car, as many of you will agree, uh, it doesn't require a lot of thinking, okay? Especially if you're driving in a familiar place. How to how to how to open the door, turn on the key, uh, turn on the engine, and and steer and hit the gas and all that. That's overlearned behavior that this guy has done for 55, let's say, years. And so that's not that's not something that one easily forgets, particularly since it doesn't really require a lot. It's not stored in the same part of the brain. It doesn't really require a lot of active thinking and memory. Okay, so basically what happens is he sees the, his car in the driveway or a car uh, and he immediately wants to go, to, quote, to work. You know, he's been retired for a while. Um, and this is very, very uh, distressing and upsetting to his wife, okay, um, who, uh, let's just complicate it further, needs to use that car to go get groceries and 
other stuff, okay, and take him to doctor's appointments. So, so why is he doing this? I guess that's the fundamental question, based on what we've already talked about. Um, let me, and I encourage you to, you know, give me your thoughts in the chat. Really, I, I, what I was trying to do is have a dialogue, but it's kind of one-sided. All right, so, so, um, you know, what's this all about? Okay, uh, and of course, uh, 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 I'll just mention that every time this happens, his wife tries to uh, explain to him, hey, don't you remember you lost your license? What are you talking about? That's not, you know, uh, and, uh, and don't you remember that you retired and so forth? But the fun, one of the fundamental problems is he can't remember. And so he, other steps that were taken to discourage him from driving, like taking his license away, don't, they're not effective because he can't remember that he isn't supposed to. He's forgotten these rules. All right. Yeah, so uh, Jonathan, uh, we yeah. got a, a hand up, um, and uh, we're gonna we try this uh, audience okay. and engagement thing, and Good. I just encourage others uh, to to use the raise your hand function yeah. later. So I'm gonna uh, click allow to talk. Hi. How are you doing? My name's Tavasam. I'm an intern at LTCCC and a PA at Columbia. Um, and with the case, I was just thinking that um, this man has probably lived, you know, they've their whole life been able to drive. And since it's become a part of their routine, very natural to just be upset when that routine is broken. And possibly, you know, fixing this, this upsetting thing may be removing the trigger or the cost for the man isn't as upset or reminded of the prior routine. Thank you very much for that. So I'm going to, uh, my audio, I was having a little trouble hearing some of the words, but I, I think I got the gist of what you're saying. I'm going to just sort of restate it uh, for the benefit of the group in case others were having trouble hearing. So basically, um, what I heard you say is that, number one, this is kind of, this is a normal thing for him to do. It's It, it would be inconceivable for him to uh, think that driving is something he shouldn't do. Okay. It's part of who he is. It's part of what he's done for his, most of his whole life. It's natural. And for someone to suggest he shouldn't would just be preposterous and trying to reason, quote, reason with him or, or in the caregiving lingo, redirect him or it, well, redirecting is actually a little different. Reorienting him really is what we're talking about. That's just not going to work. Okay. So we have to kind of meet people where they live and not argue about it. Redirecting, since I mentioned the word is more like steering, you know, which is, Oh, you want to drive? Sure. Let's just, I need to, uh, I need to get my stuff together first. Can you help me in the kitchen? Uh, while we, you know, let's make a lunch or something like that so we can go together. And then, you know, the other part of that is sort of um, distracting him, I guess, if you will. So because he has short, uh, impaired short-term memory, if you get his mind off driving, he's going to forget about it and you can move on to something else. So the other thing I, 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 um, I, I think that I got from what you were saying is that he, he probably didn't wake up this morning and think, boy, I got to go to work at, it's, he didn't say, oh, it's 7.30 now. I got to be at work at 8.30. And he's not planning his day. As I think you suggested, he saw this thing, okay? And he's just reacting to it. So stimulus response, okay? And so, uh, so Amy, if I, can, if I can call you out here, uh, Amy says, Amy Brown, uh, can she park the car elsewhere or in a place that's less visible? 
and so what Amy, what you're talking about, Amy, is um, is removing the stimulus. Okay. Now you could say well, we could just get rid of the car, but if the wife needs it and so forth, uh, that may not be practical. But but just simply moving it, maybe down the block or someplace, or if at all possible, and in an inner city that may not be an issue either. Of course, he may not be driving, but but yeah. So what you're talking about is he's reacting to a stimulus. Let's just get rid of the stimulus. Okay. And that, that in and of itself will probably save a lot of heartache. Uh, there may, there still are going to be other challenges because he's, he's, he is having trouble comprehending his environment. But, but I think that's, that's, that's a key point that both of you have made that, you know, he's just reacting. Let's see if we can, um, you know, change the environment in such a way that that isn't something that he would react to. Excellent. So let's move on to the next one. I, I really appreciate your all's uh, uh, thoughts and comments. And I know many of you don't want to uh, speak out loud and I'm not asking you to, I just want to make sure that, you know, th that we're, you know, we're having a dialogue. Okay. You can answer in your uh, rhetorically or you can answer in the chat or whatever, but I, I, um, I just want you to be kind of working. We're working together. So here's a here's a another person. She lives in a nursing home. She's recently moved there, and as you can see, she's a if she's a retired nun. If nuns actually retire, but um, so what's happening here is she is quote resisting care, being combative. I'm using all the lingo here. It's very pejorative, unfortunately. Uh, that she she is uh, basically she's not obeying other people. She's not letting them do what they want to. Okay, and uh, in fact, you know, if she's hitting and biting and stuff, maybe someone might even worry that she's a danger to herself and others. So why is she doing that? And before before, before you speak, Kathy, uh, I'll just pose the question to the group also. What would you do if you were in your own bed and someone you didn't know started taking your clothes off? Exactly. Okay. All right. So, Kathy, are you are you there? Yeah. Yes, I'm here. I'm uh, Kathy, and I'm an uh, ombudsman with uh, a rise in New York, Syracuse, and I've been an aide, and I've worked with priests and nuns in long-term care. And I think it goes back to their, like you said, what would we do? I think no matter how your your uh, brain activity, if I could say it like that, excuse me, but you still have this, uh, mod your mod modesty. I don't think that really leaves you. I know from taking care of uh, a priest he was very, he didn't want to be uh, changed. He got very combative when we would uh, need to do personal care. And I think with the nun, it's the same thing. It's a, a personal, it's something that doesn't leave them, even though they're not sure what's happening. I don't think that part left them, their modesty, Do you, I, if I'm saying it right. No, that's that's really helpful. Thank you. And and others have commented. Uh, I think Janine also said she's a nun by profession, and continence care is very invasive and frightening for her. Okay. And Amy, if I don't, if I didn't recognize the person trying to quote help me, I'd freak out. So, so I guess uh, just a couple themes here between this case and the previous one is. Well, let me pose the rhetorical question, which is, is is this the, is the behavior we're talking about? 
Is that normal? Well, if she's doing exactly what you would do or what you would expect her to do, then I'd say, yeah, that's normal. Okay. Uh, and not only is it normal for her, but you know, if, if I was, if I, let's say I'd had a stroke and I didn't have any cognitive impairment, uh, if I were lucky, and I was dependent on other people for incontinence care, I would probably feel some shame. You know, I would probably be reluctant to have people help me. So it isn't just, this isn't even exclusively an issue of living with dementia per se. It's, it's, this is a, a certain aspect of this is kind of normal and expected. Okay. Uh, and, and, and many people are modest and, you know, you know, you know, you don't necessarily have to undress the whole body at once, you know? So, I, I mean, there's lots of things that we are sometimes done for convenience that may not be really, shall we say, person centered, but, but I guess just to, just to, which just based on what you're all are telling me is really these behaviors that we're talking about, they're kind of normal or, and expected. And if you put yourself in that same situation, you'd probably do the exact same thing. So what isn't normal then? What isn't normal is people doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. That, that's not, that doesn't make sense. That's not rational. Okay. Whereas, um, you know, these, these, defensive behaviors are completely rational, even though in reality, they're so hardwired in that they don't really require a lot of conscious thought, if any. Okay, excellent. Let's let's talk about the next one here. And again, these are all real, you know, cases, most of them are hundreds of people, actually. So as we talked about these behaviors, are, they're not planned, or they're not premeditated or conscious. They're they're and people may have no awareness or even recollection. But what what is happening here is we're we're trying to make people conform to an environment, but they can't because they can't understand the place necessarily. They can't understand the rules that are not written. Uh, and, and for that matter, they're obeying. I mean, in this case, she was obeying the rule that was drilled into her from a young age, which is you don't let strangers undress you, period. Okay. And for anybody to expect that otherwise of the general public, that's nuts, okay, if you use the medical term. All right, so let's, let's see if we have another case here. All right, this, um, this seems innocent enough. That here's a, a very sweet and modest person who lives in a nursing home. She's been there oh, a few months, maybe. She's able to walk, she enjoys activities and so forth, but she ends up you know, oftentimes, quote, wandering into other people's rooms. Okay, now mind you, this, the building looks it was built in 1970. It kind of looks like a hospital. You have these long corridors with identical looking rooms on either side and typically two beds in each room. So last evening, she was found undressed and getting into an, a, a bed that wasn't hers. There was nobody else in it, but she got into someone else's bed and she was naked. Okay. And I got a frantic call about and what am I going to do about it? Okay. So, um, so before we go any further, if you got that call, what would you say? Well, I mean, I'll, 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 let me go back to what we were talking about before. Is this um, is this normal? We we got a couple uh, hands up. I'm going to start Great. with. Uh, all right, we're going to go to Anita Paul. Let's thanks. I think it would be more effective if the aide said to this woman, oh, Glenda, you must be awfully cold. Let's go find where your nightie is. 
and um, and see if we can't get you feeling more comfortable. So that's really excellent. You're you're saying you don't want her to feel like she's done anything wrong. You don't want to, you know, certainly argue with her. You're just trying to steer her uh, and ultimately maybe get her back to her room, but also, you know, prepare her for, make sure that if she wanted to wear pajamas or a nightie that she had that and stuff. So, so basically you're just dealing with the situation and just, she, you know, I guess, we can all agree that she gets at least partial credit. Okay. I mean, it was nighttime. She was tired. She, she found a bed that looked like hers. Okay. She did the things that you or I would do, which is we typically change out of our day clothes and either wear nothing or wear something else. And so all of her behaviors are completely normal. It's just that uh, she's not conforming to this environment because she can't comprehend it. And you're helping her navigate through that, which is just lovely. Okay. Now, um, I thought I said I would tell you, uh, I, I, we would talk about good care, and you just described good care for a situation like this. I did for the last case, since I, in order to not be remiss, um, there are lots of things that could have been done to help that other other woman with with incontinence care and bathing. Uh, and and it, as the comments were made about modesty, again, you don't have to com completely undress her. Uh, necessarily, uh, she also, uh, you know, but you could, um, and I realize I'm jumping around here. There's a, there are a couple resources. There's a an excellent resource called Bathing Without a Battle. There, um, you know, just a couple of little tips. If again, we talked about not standing over people, and and very often when there's a problem, other people come running, and so then it, they're outnumbered, you know, and that can be even more threatening. So we want to diffuse that situation. Basically, if people find themselves in a situation that's not what they expected, they can just stop, back off, come back a little later after people have forgotten about it and relaxed. But even so, small things like if you're trying to brush somebody's hair and you're standing up over them and you're holding this thing in your hand, it could look like you're going to hit them. Okay? So instead, you can put the brush in their hand and you can even take their arm or their hand and guide them so that you're helping them. Uh, brush their hair. You could do the same thing with a toothbrush, which instead of sticking a, you know, what looks like a, a painful object in their mouth, you can put their hand on the toothbrush and you can demonstrate for them, you know, by moving their hand, the brushing motion and so forth. So you can, you can basically assist people instead of, um, instead of um, more or less overpowering them. And th that's also what we talked about in terms of people have abilities. Let's help them use the abilities they have. Okay. And I think there's another hand up. So I'll uh, mute myself here. All right, Thomas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just wanted yeah, to yeah. say that, uh, you know, this, this individual, could she have been on medication uh, for sleeping medication? Sometimes <clears throat> When you're on certain type of medication, you get confused as to uh, what really is going on. And uh, that's a possibility that she probably assumed that she was in the correct room and based on the medication that she was taking. And uh, uh, that could be a factor here. I, I'm just going out. I'm so glad you mentioned that. So, I mean, it's pretty clear, it's pretty obvious from these particular cases that giving any of these people a medicine really kind of misses the point, okay, of what's really going on. But to your point, 
medications often make people confused. There's no medicine that makes people less confused. So medicines often make people confused and can contribute to some of these very things. So that can lead to a, uh, if you will, a vicious downward cycle. So that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, the other thing I'll just point out, uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll hold that thought and we'll jump to the next case and it'll be more obvious. Okay. So, um, this one's a little trickier. I'm, I, I, it's a little sneaky, I should say. Okay, a 30-year-old woman in a nursing home, quote, wanders into other residents' rooms frequently, and very occasionally gives medicine to the quote wrong resident. Now, when I say very occasionally, I mean just let's just say less than five percent of the time. Okay, that number has some meaning, but we'll pass on that. So this is strange. What's going on here? Well, let me give you a hint. Okay. This 30-year-old woman is the nurse that called me last night, okay, if that helps. So what's the problem that we need to fix here? Now, I, this is, again, this was sneaky of me and maybe even mean because I'm accusing her. I'm using her words, okay? When she, uh, she said this lady was wandering, okay? Um, which assumes an intention or a, or, or a purpose for the activity, which, or for her movement, which isn't the case. And yet when I asked her, hey, have you ever done that? You ever gone into the, other, under the wrong person's room, wrong room? She said, yeah, all the time. How often? Well, about every day. Oh, so you wander too. Okay. So what, should, what medicine should I give you? You know, except I don't treat, you know, uh, you're not my patient, so I'm not going to give you any medicine. So I, I, I'm exposing a... a say hypocrisy i'll just say a double standard or or just simply people um being trained to see things a certain way and think and this is a you know a otherwise outstanding nurse who who cares and all that so she's not she's she's just you know doing the best she can but um the reason i asked her why do you go into other people's rooms the in unintentionally okay and she basically said they all look alike. Okay. The rooms all look alike there. It's very difficult if you're walking down the hall to tell whose room is whose there. They may have a name on the door if, but not always. And even then it's pretty small letters. And when I asked, you know, have you ever in your life, in your career, you know, made a med error and given the wrong patient medicine? And she said, yeah, I've done that a couple of times. So well, why do you think that happened? Well, uh, these weren't her exact words, but in essence, she said, well, because they all look alike. You know, so, uh, so, you know, needless to say, uh, when somebody makes a medication error like that, a lot more is done to try to correct that because we don't want that to happen to anybody. Uh, and so we identify the underlying factors that contributed to that mistake to make it easy and convenient for people to do the right thing and difficult and inconvenient for them to do the wrong thing. But the fundamental problem here is that once this woman, I mean, she has memory impairment. And so if she leaves her room, chances are she's going to have trouble remembering where it is. Okay. And so rather than reminding her or telling her she's wrong, we can try to modify the environment to make it easy for her to find where she's going. And you, and many of you have, have experienced this directly. You'll see photos on, on by the door or other, th other things that might be, that maybe attract people to the doorway and then she recognizes, Oh, that's me or my mother or my sister or something like that. And she feels this, this is either, this is where I belong or she might feel 
curious and intrigued and go inside. Okay. And similarly, what do they do for, uh, to prevent medication errors in this very nursing home? They have a photo of every single resident next to their medication list in the medication administration record. Now it's electronic. So you can't actually get the list of somebody's medicines without seeing their picture. But so, 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 you know, so again, uh, the point I'm trying to make is this is such a normal behavior. It happens to everybody in that environment. And, and we shouldn't be blaming 80 year old women who are just trying to go to bed. Okay. Now I can tell you, I, I work at a place where if somebody's tired and they want to lie down, they just lie down and nobody cares. Okay. Most of the time, occasionally another resident might say, Hey, you're in my bed, but usually they just figure, Oh, it must not be my bed. Cause someone else is there. I'll just lie down somewhere else. And it works out great except occasionally when fam other family members visit and they get upset because the, the staff there has this feeling of, you know, live and let live, but not, but the, not everybody understands that, you know, they require some communication. Okay. I think there might be one more case, uh, but we've covered wandering. We've covered sort of agitation and resisting care. Here, this, this one, we'll, we'll, I think there's two cases. Oh, yeah. Before you move on, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about Alice Berry in the, in the comments said, Pictures of each resident should be outside their room. And yeah, what your thoughts are on that? I think it's a great idea. What I would add to that is that if you put pictures, they probably should be pictures of people when they were somewhat younger for two reasons. First of all, that that is educating the staff that here's a vital person. Okay, they're you know in case you know we're trying to overcome any sort of age bias. Okay, uh, so you know showing somebody in in their glory. Um, can can be beneficial in and of itself, but also as a purely practical matter, um, as people experience dementia, and if it's particularly to the point where they're having trouble, you know, remembering things, the, in their mind they get younger. Okay, and so if I ask this woman who's eighty, how old are you? She would probably give me a number that's substantially lower than eighty. Okay, or or whatever the number is. If you ask, just like the guy, the the first case who was who wants to go back to go to work, he he thinks he's younger than he is. Okay, fascinating. Thank you. All right. So, um, all right. So here's a situation, and I think there's just a couple of cases. I want to make it quick because I know we've got. I want I want to get to some other questions, but uh, but not to show slow you down. I'm just telling myself get with the program. Okay. So, uh, here's a woman who was, she, she was, she, this, this, this woman actually was a nurse working at the hospital. I saw her at, you know, she, she, uh, she was a unit manager. Uh, she had kind of an administrative job. Uh, she, she didn't, she, she, she never married. She just worked her whole life. She had a hat, she, a nurse hat. Okay. If that's any indication, she's old school. And one day she's at the nursing home, excuse me, at the hospital. And literally the next Monday I go to the nursing home and there she is. She's my new patient. Okay. And evidently she had some cognitive impairment and somebody uh, basically said she can't work anymore. She needs to be in a nursing home. And lo and behold, she's at the nursing home. And what is she doing? She's pushing other people in their wheelchairs who don't want to be moved. One of them she set she sent downstairs in the elevator. It was a three-story building. And she was basically fighting with all these residents, uh, mainly because she was doing things to them that they didn't want to have done. And so, so why is that happening? Okay. And again, this, this kind of gets to the issue of the environment and so forth. What is the, the, the environment that she's in? Again, a building that was built around 1970. For all the world, it looks like her workplace. There are people in wheelchairs. 
There, you know, there are long corridors, there's a nurse's station. And basically the message that the environment is telling her is, you're at work, get to work, okay? And so what she's doing, as Alice pointed out, is she's just, she's just doing her job, okay? Um, by the way, I, there was a comment about posting pictures on the door may be a violation of HIPAA. Um, and I'll just, just to clarify, well, first of all, I, that's the kind of thing you wouldn't want to do without people's permission uh, or their families, uh, particularly since they're the ones that have the pictures, generally, especially the ones we want. But also, and it's not, a photo is not, um, a photo is actually not considered health care information. So it's not a HIPAA issue specifically, but it's not, it's not medical records, but it is a privacy issue. Okay. And so I appreciate you pointing that out that, um, you know, we don't want to violate people's privacy. Okay. And, and, and particularly if people understand why we're doing it, what the goal is, the spirit of, of love and caring, most people would, uh, would find that to be helpful or useful. If they don't, there's other alternatives. You can just put their name in big letters and say, this is, you know, Alice, this is your room or whatever, you know, um, there's other, other ways to do that. And not everybody, and for cultural reasons, many people don't, some people don't want to be photographed and it could be, you know, uh, so that's not the end all. I appreciate your pointing out that, uh, that good ideas off so-called good ideas often pave the road to hell. So I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, oh, Dr. Evans, um, Nadine Bradburn in the Q and A said, yeah. asked, what did the staff do? In the situation with the okay, retirees, so, so in that particular situation, um, we talked. Talk, we talked about several things. Ultimately, what they did is nothing, and they just, you know, if it happened again, they just say, "Hey, your room's over here." You know, they didn't do any major things. I suggested several things. One of which was, "Hey, you're in control. If you wanted to be in bed at a certain time, you can find her and bring her to her room." You know, if if she ends up in the wrong room, that's not her fault. So, you know, maybe they do that sometimes, but um, but. Um, but they came to understand that uh, this was not really, uh, it wasn't a real, it was, it was, she didn't have a problem, I guess. And so that, that helped. Uh, all right. So the, um, so just as far as this slide is concerned, bottom line here is that she, the environment is telling her to get to work. She needs a job. Okay. She needs, or, or more precisely, she needs to do something that's meaningful and purposeful and she needs to, and, and there's, um, uh, to make a long story short, the idea, as we talked about, is to distract her from the situation. And one way that the, the, the staff came up with this all on their own, they said, they, they, they said, hey, you know, Ethel, you know, it's time to make rounds or it's time for a report. You know, they basically understood that this was her job and they just distracted her. They moved her basically from that situation to the nurse's station. They gave her a clipboard that said a couple, she would stand at the med cart while, and, and sometimes they would give her, you know, papers to, or files to sort or, you know, some other task, you know, uh, towels to fold or something. But, uh, and it, it wouldn't last very long. Okay. So people might get frustrated. So well, we tried that and it didn't work, but in reality it worked for long enough, okay? And it could, it's something they could do night or day. So they could always do it and it, and it always worked just enough so that she could be, um, so they could diffuse the situation, okay? All right, I, I know there's a few more slides. I encourage you to look at them. I think you'll see them pretty obviously. This particular case, I'll just say was, I'm just gonna cut to the chase. This guy, then there's been several like this. He, um, 
this, you know, the concern was sundowning because he would, quote, misbehave in the evening. Every, every, in fact, often when they said, hey, it's time to go to the dining room for dinner, he'd start with this hollering, this loud, repetitive vocalization. It turns out when the family came in and we said, hey, what's, what's that all about? They said, oh, yeah, he's calling his dogs in. He had a bunch of dogs. He lived on a farm there outside. And in another case, it was a, someone was calling their pigs in and so forth. You may not see that, hopefully, in Manhattan or anything. But, but basically, the point is, it was a normal behavior. People just didn't know what it was. And the way they dealt with that is to say, oh, hey, the dogs are already inside. You, we, we, got, we took care of that. Why don't you come on down to dinner and just relax? And that was the end of it. But it, they may have had to repeat it, but it worked every time. All right, next uh, one. And, and this guy, this is just an example of routines and re and realistic or unrealistic expectations this guy he, he's a retired pediatrician he's at this fancy assisted living place and he's quote agitated impossible to redirect and here's what happens every night he wakes up at two o'clock he says i want breakfast and they say it's nighttime go back to bed it's not breakfast time and they call his family and wake him up every single night and then they called me and i said well what time does he go to bed and they said, oh, seven o'clock. So, so he goes to bed at seven. He sleeps seven hours every night, which means I'm jealous, okay, because I don't. And, <laughs> but, but it also means that it's unrealistic to expect anybody to sleep more than that, okay? And so when, when, you, wake up at, when you wake up having slept seven hours, what do you do? You say, geez, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some breakfast, okay? It, and it doesn't matter if you work the night shift or the day shift. You're going to, when you wake up, it's breakfast time. So this was an example of real routines of the facility that were unrealistic and unreasonable. And even within the facility, they weren't prepared to deal with the problem that they had manufactured, okay? So, the, and the solution here was to not put them to bed so early. <clears throat> All right, so we talked about what are people trying to say? What are they reacting to? you know, what was what was happening beforehand, um, trying to figure out what the trigger was or what they're responding to. And I have this three minute rule based on what you all said earlier about the woman who didn't want to be undressed. Um, usually when there's a problem, other people come running, which makes the problem worse. And oftentimes the people are themselves agitated, if you will, I hate that word, upset. And so I have this rule that I just say, okay, I'll, if I'm in the building, I'd say, okay, I'm, I'm on my way there. Everybody leave the room and I will be there in three minutes. If I get there in one minute, I will often stand in the corridor for two minutes. And then I go in the room and guess what? <clears throat> the tiger is now a kitten. Okay. So because what, because the stimulus has been removed. Okay. But I, I, it's important for me to demonstrate that because I want people to see that some places like in this nursing home that was run by Mennonite community, they were very uncomfortable leaving people alone, <clears throat> especially when they were upset. So I negotiated with them, just stay by the door, okay? Maybe you can keep it open a crack, but just be out of eyesight, just for a minute. Let's try one, a one minute rule. So it's something that anybody can do. All right, I think we're done with that part. Let me just kind of wrap things up and say that, you know, behaviors communication, as we talked about, and, and the, st the stuff that we're, that other people find so objectionable, it's because they were trained that way, okay? They were trained to see things other than that which they already know. Uh, but these are normal responses and it's just a matter of putting, putting ourselves in their shoes. And I'm hopeful that each of you in your role can help coach other people in these situations, go through the same kind of process that we just talked about and help people to feel more successful and confident in the work that they do. Because the people that we're talking about, the staff that, that were in these situations, they're good people. They're loving, kind people. They're, you know, they're doing the work that God meant for them to do. 
they're just not doing it as well as they could, but they're doing it exactly the way they were taught. Okay. And so, um, you know, we, I think we, we owe it to them to help them see a better way. Okay. I, I, I have a tendency to talk too much. I apologize, but, uh, hope we have time for at least a couple of questions. We do, Jonathan. Thank you, Dr. Evans. Thank you so much. That was really that, that was really great. There's a question here from Kathy Walker in the Q and A before. Excuse me, in the chat. And then again, if anyone has questions, please post them in the Q and A. But Kathy asked, "What is your advice for changing the culture of nursing homes and assisted living to better accommodate people with dementia or other cognitive impairments?" Well, uh, that's a really important question, um, and the. Uh, and I, I dare say that I get paid to do this. Uh, I mean, to help nursing home companies and assisted living companies who say they want to do that. And I, I don't feel that I've been particularly successful. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, for a variety of reasons is that fundamentally mo nobody wants to feel like they're doing things wrong. Okay. And I have never gotten more hostility in my life than I have uh, basically trying to, discourage doctors from prescribing medicines uh, because that's how they're taught, you know, and, and I, I've been, and I've been in a lot of situations in individual nursing homes where, you know, or where I do consulting and, you know, where I'm told, where I say to somebody, um, you, you can't do that. That's not, you know, uh, it may have nothing to do with the care of people with dementia. And the answer I get is, and this is, this is fresh in my mind from a recent conversation. Wait a minute. We've been doing that for 10 years. You mean to tell me we've been doing it wrong for 10 years? And I'm like, yeah, it's wrong and it was wrong 10 years ago. And yes, you've been doing it wrong for 10 years, but you were doing it exactly the way that other people did it or do it or what someone else told you to do. So you know, it up, but it's, but it's not correct. And here's why. Um, I think as far as um, the, the tactic that I'm trying to use now with individual communities is to uh, say, hey, First of all, I like to try to reframe things. I, I tr try to show people that all these behaviors are exactly what you'd expect in a young child. Most of you have had young children. You know how to do it. You did it and so forth. And just do that. You, you have to get some basic buy-in from uh, the, the facility, from the bosses. I, I don't like to use the word leadership. Unless, well, that's a different story, different topic, but from the bosses to say, yeah, you can stop and you can come back later. Okay. Uh, because there is a lot of cultural pressure for people to just keep barreling through. But what I've tried to explain to people is these, pro these, these problems you're having, even for the same individual resident, not everybody has the same problem with that person. And so the solution is there. Somebody is, is able to do this better. And rather than me or somebody else telling you how to do it, talk to one another, ask, you know, ask your peers what works and so forth, because that's going to be much more powerful in getting people to change behavior than some so-called expert, so self-proclaimed expert saying you've been doing it all wrong and you can't do that anymore. So that's, that's really challenging. I guess, uh, you know, I, I think it's important that people, that we acknowledge, uh, the the challenges that people are facing and you know legitimize that you know it, it, nobody's trying to do anything wrong but in general when people see what's i mean in terms of changing behavior one i mean it's and it's a complicated process and lots been written about it by the way i worked for many culture change organizations and i once gave a presentation about how to change a culture it was very academic i had all this 
psychology stuff and all these studies, including from Harvard Business Review, and uh, they never invited me back. Okay, so so uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, I think most of the time people think, well, if I just tell you what you should do, then my work here is done. But really, we have to help. We have to help people along the way, and so uh, I think the relationships that you build when you're working with uh, staff can be really important to, to build trust. I think if you can, I think people learn a lot through storytelling and dialogue. So, you know, you can say, well, I heard about a case just like this and here's what he's doing or whatever, or, you know, one time, whatever, I mean, just helping people to see things from a different angle and sort of, if you will, reframe things and try to make it smaller or break things down into smaller bites, that can be helpful. But, uh, you know, I've been at this for more than 30 years. I don't, I can't, I'm not sure if I've made any difference, quite frankly, but, you know, I feel like, you know, our struggle continues and this is, you know, we're trying to repair a broken world. Okay. And it's, and the thing that i learned not too long ago is that it's never going to be fixed. Okay. So, but, so we're in the, we're in the business of perpetual maintenance, if you will, but it's important. Okay. It's what it's, it's, it's about, you know, it's, it's who we are and who we are is loving and caring for other people. Okay. Whether it's physically or just, you know, being kindred spirits and so forth, but that's why you do the work that you do. Okay. And, um, and you're in a situation, frankly, where you're probably more likely to be successful than I am because, um, you know, again, people know that I'm going to be gone. You know, if I, if I'm doing some consulting work, oftentimes, uh, people think, well, he's, I'll, 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 I'll ask you just like the last consultant that came in here and so forth, but you're there and you're part of, the fabric of these communities and um you know and you're you're a leader you help people to see what's possible a clearly perceived better way who wouldn't want to do that and if there are barriers you can explore that then um you know maybe you may be able to help them overcome those barriers too but um so i've tried a lot of things that didn't work and i'm just uh, I'm, I'm that's why i'm here so i can uh I can find the strength to, to do it one more day. So thank you for that. Well, Dr. Evans, thank thank you very much. We have uh, four other questions, but we don't so we don't have time for. It, but maybe if I can, we can share them with you afterwards, Absolutely. and we can post some responses on the on the website with the with yes, the recording sir. of this program. Um, but thank you so much. As always, um, just so thoughtful and insightful, and I think you've got us to think as well. And and these are challenges, but there are ways to you know. Uh, there are ways to address them. And oftentimes, as you noted, and as some commenters noted, it's simpler and easier just to, um, to you know, to understand what some, that someone is communicating something and to try to help them put yourself in their place, uh, et cetera. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, before we end, we have another minute, just uh, let everyone know our next program will be November 22nd. It's also a Tuesday at 1 p.m. And I'm going to be talking about back to basics because we get a lot of questions about, uh, you know, basic nursing and resident rights and, you know, information about nursing homes quality, uh, et cetera. So we're going to just do kind of a basic review. I hope it'll be useful and interesting. Um, next slide, please. And then again, today's programs, the material will be on our website, nursinghome411.org, webinar-dementia-care. Please give us a week or so to get the questions to Dr. Evans and hopefully he can respond to them. Uh, and then we have a Dementia Care Advocacy Toolkit, 
also on our website in the learning center if you just drop down there everything again is free to use and share and it has information on residents rights to dementia care avoiding antipsychotic drugs uh etc um next slide okay um for updates and invites to future programs please join us online it's free nursinghome411.org forward slash join and for long-term care ombudsman if you are attending today's program for credit with your Amazon program, you will receive an email confirming your attendance of this program by Thursday. Uh, Dr. Evans, thank you again. It's always just wonderful to hear you and to and to gain, um, have some time to listen to your insights and your thoughts and, and how much you really care. Thank you everyone for joining us and enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Bye-bye. Thank you. And just oh, sorry, Dan. Never underestimate the difference that you make every day and just know that you're doing what you're supposed to. And I can't thank you enough for the privilege of sharing part of the journey with you. So I hope to hope to get to connect with you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much.